Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, please. I had in my heart um, uh, this evening to just teach on something that's uh, kind of back to the basics. I, I know that uh, um, I kind of had a, have a habit of getting on a certain track and we'll go down a certain road for a while. And then uh, it seems that the Lord will put me on put in uh, my heart to come back to the basics, start over again. And, and uh, uh, it's easy to get off the simple things, but it's the simple things that put you over and as far as the word's concerned. So I want to talk to you on the principle of faith tonight. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 1. Paul's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, the word prayer there is the word supplication. In other words, he's saying, I pray this a lot. My heart's desire and the prayer that I pray a lot for Israel is that they would be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Notice just being excited is not enough. You've got to know what you're excited about. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now notice that phrase. Trying to be righteous on their own, they fail to submit to God's righteousness. I wonder how many people do that with the word in every area or other different areas. They're trying to do something themselves. They're trying to make themselves right with God in some way or another. They're trying to be pleasing unto God and they reject the truth of the word that the Bible says that we're already accepted in the Beloved. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law in this way. He quotes the Old Testament. That the man which doeth these things shall live by them. In other words, you get what you deserve. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Now it's uh, the sentence construction here is a little um, disjointed in the original Greek. Because literally what Paul says, but here's what the righteousness which is of God says. Well, wait, first of all, it doesn't say this. And then he'll go further and say what it does say. So here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, or say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Well, if that's not what the righteousness which is of God or which is of faith speaks, then what does it say? But what saith it? Verse 8. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That, here's the example, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, talking about the inner man, the spirit, man believeth unto righteousness And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, I want you to notice back up to verse seven or verse six and seven. And notice what he starts saying. He said, here's what the righteousness of faith is like. First of all, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say if only Jesus could come back down from heaven, then I could receive. And it doesn't say if only Jesus could go back to the grave and and be raised again from the dead, then I could receive. In other words, the righteousness, which is of faith doesn't say, if only I lived when Jesus was here on the earth. If only I could have been in contact with him when he was here in in physical form. But what does it say? It says what it believes in its heart. It says what the spirit man, the heart of man, believes. Now notice in verse 10, it says, For with the mouth, or with the heart, confession, uh, I'm sorry, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Please underline or notice those words unto, the two times the words used, unto, U-N-T-O. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you know what the word unto means? It means that you might become, or that which is to become. So what he's saying is, with the heart, man believes to become righteous. And with the mouth, confession is made in order to become saved. What I want you to realize is when the heart starts believing, the righteousness that he's speaking of is not yet a reality. When the mouth confesses Jesus is Lord, salvation is not yet a reality. Here's the principle of faith. The principle of faith is you believe with the heart and say with the mouth. Very simply, you believe with the heart and say with the mouth for this purpose, to become what the Bible says you have been made 
to become what the Bible says you've been made. The Bible says we've been made, we as Christians, the church, have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what if I'm not saved? What if I'm outside the church family? Doesn't that belong to me too? Yeah, the Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the world. That means it belongs to anybody and everybody. So what do I do? Well, let's say I go to church. Let's say I go to church and I hear some preacher preach about Jesus going to the cross and dying for my sins. That sounds good. But you know as well as I do, I don't have to believe that. Not everybody that hears it does believe it. Matter of fact, more people that hear it don't believe it than the ones that hear it and do believe it. But let's say I make the choice. Let's say I choose to believe that. Oh, I just want to believe it. My life is such a mess. I need things to change. I need God in my life. I need something in my life. I want to believe that. Okay? That's a good thing. But am I saved? I'm believing what the Bible says that I'm supposed to believe in order to become righteous. But am I righteous yet? James said, Believest thou that there is one God? Thou doest well. Even the devils believe and they tremble. Now I want you to realize something, folks. The devil knew Jesus was the Son of God. But that didn't get him saved. You could go through life believing that Jesus went to the cross and not be saved. You could go through life believing Jesus was sent from heaven and truly was the Son of God and not be saved. Well, we couldn't say that you were believing the wrong thing. We couldn't say that you weren't saved because you were believing in error. What's the point? The point is believing is only half of the job. Believing is a choice and it's half of the job. What's the other half? The other half has to do with confession, the words that you speak. For with the heart, the spirit of man, man believeth unto in order to become righteous. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In other words, it's your words that seal the deal. You can believe the right thing, but without the confessing part, you'll not receive. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, let's go back to me. uh, Let's don't leave me unsaved. I go to church. I hear about Jesus coming to the earth, dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. I choose to believe that. My heart breaks when I hear that, and I think, oh, there's hope. Praise God, there's hope. But I could start right there and say, oh, God, save me. Oh, I want to be saved so bad. My life is such a mess. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. God, you know I want to be saved. And none of those things will get me saved. If we are to take the Bible literally, specifically, now, now i got to tell you, I'm not God, so I don't know exactly how this works. I'm sure there are some people that didn't know what to say, and so their heart was right, and they just said, God saved me, and, and, and that probably did the job. But if we were to believe the Bible literally just for what it says, and this is the only way that it, that it works, then I could say anything I want to to express my desire to be saved. I could plead with God to save me. I could beg God to save me. I could talk about how how much... Uh, how, how I need to be saved or, or whatever else. I could go through this for years and years and years and years. But until I confess, until I say with my mouth that which brings me into salvation, I'm not going to receive. Until I confess Jesus is Lord, I am not going to receive salvation. And folks, I would submit to you that every one of us, when we confess Jesus as Lord, that moment that we said it, he was not. We were still unsaved. And that's what this means. With the mouth, confession is made unto or to become saved. You say Jesus is your Lord before he is. In one moment, you say, I confess Jesus is my Lord so that he will become your Lord the next moment. It's a nearly instantaneous thing, but there is a, there is a fraction of a second at least. Uh, there is certain, some sort of period of time that goes between when we say Jesus is our Lord and he becomes our Lord. Because the Bible's real clear. You are not born again until after you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You then become a new creature. You don't become a new creature in Christ by begging for salvation. You don't become a new creature in Christ by telling God how much you need it. 
You become a new creature in Christ when you confess what the Bible says to make salvation yours. Now, folks, this word, so, this word saved or salvation is, uh, is a word that's used throughout the New Testament. It's the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. There's a, um, uh, another um, form of this word that's soteria. Uh, or sometimes it's soteria, sometimes it's soterio, depending on masculine or feminine. S-O-T-O-R-E-O, I guess it is. And these words come from the same root word, and it literally means everything that Jesus purchased for us. It means not just saved from sins or forgiveness of sins. It's also used to to denote healing. For example, in James chapter 5, it says in verse 14, in the prayer of faith, you'll save the sick. That's the word translated, or that's the word sozo. It means to heal. When Jesus was talking to the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, in verse 35, he said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. That word whole is the word sozo. It's talking about healing. It's talking about the restoration of her body. So, so this word sozo, this word that's translated salvation, includes a lot more than just forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That's the word sozo. It's the power of God unto salvation. Uh, one of the things that I like about uh, Dr. Schofield, who was an um, eminent Baptist scholar, one of the things, maybe the only thing I like about the Bible that he, uh, that, uh, that he put out with his notes and commentary and stuff like that, he's got a note in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that says that the, the concept of salvation implies five different things. Rescue, deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to make whole or healing. He knew. I mean, it's the word itself. Whether he preached healing or not, and he didn't, he knew that the concept of salvation included healing. Now, a lot of the church tries to pare it down and say, well, it just means forgiveness of sins. But that's not what the word means. And I think the Holy Ghost was very specific in giving Paul the words to speak that he wanted to convey, that he wanted to use to convey his message. So it says, with the heart, man believes, with the spirit, the man believes unto or to become righteous. And with the mouth, confession is made unto or to become saved. So it's the words of your mouth that are spoken in contradiction to the circumstances in your life. At the moment you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is not your Lord and Savior. So you are speaking what some might accuse you of, of uh, what some could accuse you of being a lie. You're saying that Jesus is something that he's not yet. Now, again, we're talking about a fraction of a second or a moment of time, but it's still time. So at the moment that you say Jesus is your Lord, there's only one reason that you're saying that, uh, confessing that Jesus is your Lord, and that is because you chose to believe the preaching of the word of God concerning Jesus going to the cross and dying for your sins, Right? So when we confess Jesus as our Lord, we are confessing a contradiction into the face of circumstances. We're speaking something the Bible says in obedience to what the Bible tells us to do in direct contradiction to the facts of our life. And that's the principle of faith. Now, let me ask you a question. Who took it upon themselves to say that faith works differently in the area of being saved or coming into the family of God and in the area of healing? Paul is very simply telling us by the Holy Ghost, this is how faith works. This is how the righteousness which is of faith works. Here's how you come into the family of God. Here's how you come into all the things that Jesus purchased through you purchased for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. Here's how you get it. You believe in your heart. The spirit of man chooses to believe. It's a choice. He didn't say the spirit of man is convinced. Because most of us, when we got saved, we weren't convinced of anything. We just chose to believe what we heard somebody else preach. With the heart, man believes. It's a choice. And because of that choice, 
because of that desired result of righteousness that Paul's talking about in Romans 10, because of that desired result, we elect to obey what the Bible says and speak what seems to the circumstances or the facts of our life to be a lie. But it's not a lie because the Bible says it's true. And what happens? The facts and the circumstances of our life change immediately. The circumstances and the facts of our life come in line with what the Bible says is true. And that's the principle of faith. Paul said it this way earlier in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 4, when he was talking about Abraham and following Abraham's faith, he said Abraham was like God in this respect. He called things that were not as though they were. That's what you do when you confess Jesus as your Lord when you get saved or just prior to getting saved. You called things that were not as though they were. You said Jesus was the Lord of your life because the Bible tells you to do it. But he wasn't at the moment that you did it. And so what happened? He became the Lord of your life. He became your Lord and Savior. That's what the Bible says Paul did, or I'm sorry, Abraham did. Paul tells us that Abraham did that, followed that same principle of faith. He, acting like God, called things that were not as though they were. To what end? That he might become the father of nations. We could say it this way. Paul called himself the father of nations unto or to become the father of nations. When he called himself the father of nations because God gave him the name, when he called himself that name, he was not the father of nations in a factual sense. And I'm sure if you'd been standing there, if anybody else had been standing there, I'm sure that would have gotten some weird looks. Paul, what are you talking, or uh, Abraham, excuse me. Abraham, what are you talking about being the father of nations? You don't have but one child, and that was not through your wife. That was through her handmaid. And that was years ago. What are you now, almost 100 years old, calling yourself the father of nations for? Because God said it about him. And so he said something that was not factually true, but it was true because God spoke it and God can't lie. And what was the end result? He became the father of nations. The circumstances of his life lined up with what he said in obedience to God. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, Jesus shows us how he operated in faith. Guess we better start in the the beginning of the story. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the times of figs was not. That's a real poor translation. If you'll do some uh, a simple Internet search on fig trees in Israel, you'll find out that when the leaves come out, that means it's time for the figs. The figs come out, too. It's not like what we're used to where the, the, the leaves come out in the spring and then the, the summer blooms come up and then fruit grows and stuff like that. Fig trees don't work that way in Israel. When the leaves come out, the fruit comes out at the same time. Jesus saw the leaves, so he assumed the fruit was there, but it wasn't. And so Jesus answered and said unto it, said unto the tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Notice he didn't talk to God about the tree. He spoke to the tree. Now, the tree represents a hindrance or an obstacle in his life. He doesn't stop and pray and say, okay, God, what do I do about this tree? He doesn't just walk off and say, oh, well, not every tree works right. He created trees. He knows how it's supposed to work. So he says to the tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So he wasn't quiet about it, was he? And then it tells us about going to Jerusalem and doing different things. Verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, This is because I'm the Son of God. Don't think you can do the same thing. Now, certainly it doesn't say that. But why does the church world think that Jesus did things that he did not or that we can't do? Jesus, in fact, said, this is how faith works. 
Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. He's about to describe to them the principle of faith. They've just seen it work. Now he's going to tell them, here's how it works. For verily I say unto you that whosoever, not special people, not just the Son of God, but whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Here's the qualifier. And shall not doubt in his heart. He's talking about in his spirit, the inner man. But shall believe. Well, if he's talking about not doubting in your heart, he's got to be talking about believing in your heart. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. For with the heart, the spirit, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. He's talking about the same thing that Paul told us by the Holy Ghost. So he said, verily I say unto you, verse 23, that whosoever works for anybody shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now notice the principle of faith that Jesus describes. It's the same principle of faith that Paul describes to us that brings us into the family of God. He's talking to people that are born again. Paul is talking in Romans chapter 10 to the church. He's talking to Christians. And so he's saying, here's how it works for Christians. Here's how you came into the family of God. You believed in your heart what you heard preached about Jesus and going to the cross and being raised from the dead. You believed that because you wanted to become righteous. So what did you do then? You then confessed... Jesus as your Lord, so that you could be saved. Isn't that the same thing Jesus is saying about the principle of faith? Except Jesus is saying it doesn't just work for coming into the family of God. It works for anything here on the earth that pertains to you. Now, I can't use my faith and change things about your life, but I can sure use faith and change things about my life. And notice what Jesus said to do. It's very simple. Whosoever shall say. Jesus starts with the words. Paul started with the heart, man, uh, started with the believing in the heart. Jesus starts with the words that you speak. Whosoever shall say. Whosoever shall say. I think it might be good for us to put in there and maybe even translate it this way. Whoever dares to say. Because just as soon as you start talking like Jesus did, just as soon as you start saying things about the Bible, saying things that the Bible says belong to you, you're going to have other Christians get their back up in a hurry. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be, then be thou cast into the sea. So it doesn't just work on trees, it works on mountains. Now, I don't think he's literally trying to tell us to rearrange the geography of the earth or the topography of the earth. I think what he's saying is just like this tree was a hindrance in my life, you may find something that hinders you or an obstacle that's in front of you that's even bigger than this. It may be a mountain of a problem. Faith still works there. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Notice he doesn't say whoever prays to God about the problem. He says, talk to the mountain, talk to the issue, talk to the problem, talk to the obstacle, the hindrance in your life. I think too many people are praying to God about lack or about sickness instead of talking to lack and speaking to sickness. That's what Jesus said to do. Don't talk to God about your problem. Speak to your problem. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now, doubting in the heart, we could spend weeks just on a seminar talking about what does it mean to believe with the heart and doubt with the heart. But let me just define it for you very simply. To believe with the heart is to believe independently of your five physical senses. That's what you had to do when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. You believe what the Bible says about Jesus going, coming to the earth, going to the cross, and being raised from the dead. You had no physical evidence of it. You may have had somebody else's testimony saying, this is what I did, and, and Jesus saved me, and, and look at how things have changed in my life. That's great, but you still don't have any physical evidence. You chose to believe independently of your five physical senses. You didn't have anything to see. You didn't have anything to hear that proved that Jesus came to the earth and went to the cross. That was 2,000 years ago. You weren't here. The sound of it's not still here. Nothing about your five physical senses told you Jesus came to the earth and he's the son of God. And that's the very reason why most people reject him. Because they refuse to believe anything that they can't see or feel or etc. 
They refuse to believe anything outside of their five visible senses. So to believe with the heart means to believe independently of your five visible senses. To doubt in your heart means to believe according to your five physical senses. To reject the truth of God's word because of what you can see or feel. That's the simplest definition I can give you about believing in the heart versus doubting in the heart. It comes down to believing or doubting the word. No matter how you see what you see or how you feel. Let me uh, go back to our original scriptures in Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> if you looked at the situation and said, well, I believe Jesus came to the earth, but wait a minute. I don't have any reason. I don't have any evidence to support that. Therefore, I'm not going to confess Jesus as my Lord until I know that he is. Then you'd never get saved. If you're waiting for physical evidence before you speak and confess that Jesus is your Lord, you'll never get saved. And that's what the Bible calls doubting in your heart. You've got the Bible that declares the truth, but you choose to believe what you can see or feel or what you can't see or feel more than you believe what God said in his word. And therefore, you're doubting in the heart and it won't work. You'd never come into salvation. That's the same thing Jesus is saying. Therefore, I say unto you, or verily I say unto you, that whosoever works for everybody, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Notice you tell the problem what you want it, what your desire is, what you expect, independently of how you feel or uh, independently of what you see or how you feel. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. What basis do we have to believe that what we say is going to come to pass? Jesus said, this is how faith works. Now, I know there are a lot of preachers that disagree. But Jesus said, this is how faith works. Either they're right or Jesus is right. I'm going to stick with Jesus. I mean, after all, he's the one that made the fig tree dry up from the roots. When I see some of the other unbelieving preachers start drying up fig tree from the roots, then maybe we'll have to reconsider. But I think I'm in pretty good, on pretty good ground there. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, why in the world would we say anything to our problems? Because we believe that those things which we say will come to pass. So with the heart, man believes unto the result we desire. And with the mouth, confession is made unto that result. Now, what if this obstacle is sickness? What if the problem in your life is sickness? What if the devil has brought some sickness into your life, whether it's curable, incurable, you know, easy, small disease, great disease, whatever, it doesn't matter. Sickness is sickness. What if the problem is sickness? Well, it's a fact. It's an absolute fact, according to the doctor's diagnosis, that we have whatever the condition is that he's diagnosed. What are we going to do? Well, what does the word say? Our only hope is the word. If it is incurable, especially if it's incurable, then our only hope is to find some answer from God's word. Well, we're in luck. Because the Bible says that at the same time that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. Same scripture. That says Jesus paid the price for sin, says he paid the price for sickness. And with his stripes, that means the shedding of his blood, we were healed. So Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, not only paid the price for sin, at the same time that his blood was shed, he paid the price for sickness. So we can believe the same things unto healing that we believed unto salvation. Because healing is a part of salvation. Even Dr. Schofield agrees with that. So what do we do? We take the condition that is a fact, it's a circumstantial fact in our lives, and we say, according to the word of God, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. Therefore, I say to this sickness, leave my body in Jesus' name. Now, I'm speaking a contradiction. I'm saying I'm healed, and the doctor says I'm sick. What basis do I have to speak that contradiction? Well, it's certainly in what I see. 
And it certainly isn't what I feel. Well, then what is it? It's based on the truth of God's word, the word of God that says Jesus paid the price for it. And just like when I heard Jesus came to the earth and went to the cross for my sins, I choose to believe that he paid the price for my sickness at the same time, just because God's word says so. I sure would like a feeling that told me that I was healed too, but I can't count on that. I've got to believe independently of how I feel. I've got to believe independently of what I see going on in my body. Same thing as when I came into the family of God. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Personal opinion. I can't prove it, but you can't really disprove it either. So there's just let me give you my opinion about something. <clears throat> Where I said earlier that if somebody just cried out to God, didn't know how the things, the principle of faith worked, and just cried out to God, God saved me, I don't have any doubt in my mind that there are people that got saved that way. But once you come into the family of God, once you become a child of God, God expects more out of you. He expects you to go to the Word and find out how things work. Just like you expect the children that are born into your family as they begin to grow up, you give them responsibility and you expect more out of them the older they get. It's not unkind. It's not unfair, even if they don't like doing the chores that you deliver to them or or make them responsible for. In the same way, as we are supposed to, as we come into the family of God, we're supposed to grow in the things of God. So I don't have any doubt whatsoever that God expects you to learn, to discover, and to act on the principles of faith in a much greater degree once you're in the family of God than it took to get you into the family of God. And what I mean by that is very simply this. You could believe that Jesus paid the price for your sickness just like he paid the price for your sin, and you could beg God to heal you. Oh, God, you know how much I need to be healed. You know how much I want to be healed. You know how much I love you. Lord, look at what a good testimony it would give if I got healed. You can give every excuse in the book, but until you do what the Bible says the principle of faith does, you're not a candidate for receiving your healing. I'll prove that to you. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. This tells about Paul in a, in a certain city, city of Lystra. It tells us earlier in the chapter, earlier in chapter 14, first uh, five or six verses, it says that uh, uh, the, the Jews stirred up trouble and they were going to stone Paul and his company. And so it says in verse 6 that they were aware of it and fled into the Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and under the region that lies round about. And there, in that region, they preached the gospel. Notice what the gospel looked like. Verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same, talking about the crippled man, the same heard Paul speak. Now, what did Paul speak? Well, verse 7 just tells us they preached the gospel. Right? So when it says they heard Paul speak, this crippled man heard Paul speak, it means he heard him preach the gospel. What did Paul's gospel look like? What was included in Paul's gospel? See, so many times people, I asked a, a fellow about, uh, um, this is a number of years ago, we were on a, a, a school trip with my son, fourth grade trip to Sacramento. And uh, I was one of the chaperones. There was another dad that was one of the chaperones, too. And, and we got to talking. He asked me what I did, and I told him I pastored a church. And I expected that to be the end of the conversation. But he kept things going. He wanted to know some things about our church. And so we talked a little bit and, and uh, found out his background. He came from a Pentecostal church, a, a real um, wild-type background, denominational-type thing, uh, Pentecostal denominational thing. But he saw a lot of signs and wonders and different miracles and different things like that growing up. And um, I say growing up, uh, prior to him getting saved, he and his wife had just newly married, if I remember the story correctly. And so he saw these things going on. He couldn't explain it. He knew that it was miraculous. He knew that it had to be God because of the results that it brought. And so it caused him to come into the family of God. It caused him to get saved. I mean, that was his testimony. He's telling me the story. I saw people get healed. I saw, you know, different signs and miracles and things like that take place. And so I just decided, okay, this has got to be God. I'll give my life to Jesus. So he did. And I, I thought, well, that's interesting. Now, fast forward these years later, I said, where are you going to church? 
And he said, well, I go to a church that, uh, that focuses on the important things. We just preach the gospel. Now, folks, I'm not real smart, but I know a put down when I hear one. And so I said, oh, you mean the gospel like Acts 14? He said, what do you mean? I said, I mean the gospel that Paul preached. Yeah. Yeah. I said, well, that's good news. Because Acts 14 says that they preached the gospel and there sat a certain man at Lystra being impotent from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, preached the gospel, in other words, who had faith to be healed. So Paul's gospel had to include healing because Romans 10.17 says without faith, uh, it's well, I'm sorry, Romans 10.17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if he has faith to be healed, he had to hear preaching about healing and the Bible calls that the gospel. Well, that ended the conversation. But folks, notice that the man, in order for the man to have faith to be healed, he had to hear preaching on healing. And the Bible, the Holy Ghost, gives us a record of that being called the gospel. In other words, the good news about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is not just forgiveness of sins. The good news of Jesus is eternal life, and eternal life includes forgiveness of sins as well as healing and blessings. All right, back to the story. Verse 8, And there sat a certain man at Lystra being evident in his, in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving. Paul perceived that the man had faith to be healed. Now, this is the word sozo as well. This word healed is the word sozo. It's the word translated salvation in other parts of the New Testament. He had faith to be saved. But we know it's talking about physical healing here. He had faith to be healed. Now, folks, if you stop reading right there, he's got faith to be healed, but he's still crippled. He's believing the right thing. Faith means believing in the heart. He's believing the right thing. He's believing that Jesus paid the price for his physical well-being, but he's still crippled. So you can't tell me that just faith alone gets the job done. No, this is the first leg of faith. Faith has two legs. Faith is believing in the heart and saying with the mouth or taking some kind of corresponding action. Usually it's speaking. Paul perceived that this man had faith to be healed, but Paul's smart enough to know if I don't get him to do something, to act on that, either to confess it or to act on it physically, I'm not going to get him out of this wheelchair. So Paul, seeing, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand right upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Notice it was only when he acted on what he believed that the healing re- resulted in his body. He's believing healing all the time. It doesn't say that when he started to act, then he really got charged up in faith or his faith grew or anything like that. It says that until he took action, his faith was dormant. And I, I don't have any doubt whatsoever that a lot of people have enough faith to get whatever it is they need, but they don't monitor their words. Now, folks, i got to tell you, I wish every healing was like this. I wish every healing was instantaneous just like this. I wish it was just a matter of seeing the look in somebody's eyes and, oh, yeah, they've got it. Stand up right on your feet or stretch out your hand or whatever the case is, whatever the sickness is. I wish they all worked that way, but they don't. They didn't work all that way. They didn't all work that way for Paul. They didn't all work that way for Jesus. You'd think Jesus, who's the son of God, would have instant healings all the time, wouldn't you? But he didn't. The ten lepers were healed as they went. The nobleman's son began to amend from that hour that Jesus spoke the word. There are a number of cases of just the ones that we have record of where the healings that took place in Jesus' ministry were not instant. Why should we expect them to all be instant today? Nowhere does the Bible say that if you believe, then you'll get instant results. Never does it say that. In fact, the principle of faith is, whosoever shall say and not doubt in his heart. That seems to imply there's going to be a period of time where you have the opportunity to doubt or to speak according to what you see and feel instead of what the Word says. Wouldn't it be great? I've thought about this so much. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart for 20 minutes? 
but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. I'm sure a lot of people still wouldn't make it. But wouldn't it be great if you knew how long it's going to take? Because, folks, here's the issue. Here's the rub with faith. You never know how long. Time is always the issue. Always. If we knew it was going to be short, well, even if we knew, if we knew it was going to be a month, we'd start marking our calendars, wouldn't we? We'd start making sure that from December the 8th all the way up until January the 8th, nothing comes out of my mouth that's going to contradict what God's Word says about my healing. But if that were the case, we wouldn't be doing it because we believe it. We'd be doing it because it was some kind of a ritual. We'd be looking forward to January the 8th where we could let down our guard and not worry about what we have to say anymore. Time's always the issue, folks, when it comes to the subject of faith. Back to Mark chapter 11. Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, and he calls this faith. Remember, he defines this as having faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have, not he might have, not the odds are in his favor. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, if language means anything, and if, if, the, if the character and the nature and the Word of God means anything, and by that I don't just mean the book that's sitting in your lap. I mean if Jesus' words mean anything. Jesus is telling us that if we hold fast the profession of our faith, if we say what we believe in our heart and believe that the principle of faith works, we shall have what we say. Slam dunk. Yeah, but it's been so long, Pastor Mike. I don't care. He didn't say you'd have whatsoever you say unless it's been a long time. Yeah, but it's just, I'm just not sure if I'm strong in faith. Did you notice he didn't say anything about being strong in faith? He just said, believe in your heart and speak with your mouth. See, the devil will tell you you don't have enough faith. Did you notice Jesus didn't say a word about enough faith? Jesus didn't say one thing that the church world gets all upset about and concerned about and the devil attacks you over. Jesus very simply says, if you say to the mountain and refuse to doubt in your heart, refuse to speak to the contrary of what God's word says, you shall have what you say. And notice he says when he, when he does say you'll have what, what you say, he says you'll have whatsoever you sayeth. You shall have whatsoever. In other words, the sky's the limit. Then he goes further in verse 24. He said, therefore, because this is true, because this principle of faith always works. Therefore, I say unto you, what thing soever you desire. Now, can somebody tell me what the limit on that is? What thing soever you desire? Notice he doesn't talk about the will of God. He's going to talk about prayer. He doesn't say if you pray according to God's will. He doesn't say anything about if you if you find and identify the will of God, if you find through some supernatural manifestation what God wants, then then that's the ticket. Notice that Jesus is talking about prayer. The church world majors on Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed three different times. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The church world focuses on Jesus praying and the one sentence that he said in that prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And so by and large, the church world as a whole prays every prayer, Lord, if it be your will. Notice Jesus is telling us about a praying a certain kind of prayer called the prayer of faith, and it doesn't say one word about praying if it be your will. Not one word. Therefore, I say unto you, because this principle of faith is true, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, notice the timing, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the things that you desire, and you shall have them, the things that you desire. 
So he says in verse 23, faith works by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. And because faith works by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth, faith works in prayer too. On anything you desire. Because, see, there are some situations that he's talking about in verse 23 that are obstacles. But there are some thing, other things that you desire in life that's not a matter of obstacles. You're just looking to have those things come to you in life. So you don't have an obstacle to speak to. You don't have a hindrance to speak the word to. So what do we do? We pray the prayer of faith for those things to become a reality for us. That's why it's necessary for him to tell us that faith works by saying and faith works by praying too. Amen? Can you see that? Well, here's how faith works in prayer. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, notice the when, when you pray, believe. When do you believe? When you pray. What are we supposed to believe? When you pray, believe that you receive the things that you desire and you shall have the things that you desire. When? Well, it implies it's going to come later, doesn't it? It implies that it's not necessarily going to be an instantaneous result, but that you're going to have to keep applying the principle of faith in verse 23 and not doubt in your heart. But if you won't doubt in your heart and believe that you receive the things that you desire when you pray, you will have the things that you desire. Now, what qualifier do you put on that? Unless things get really bad? Unless a certain political party is in office? Unless the devil really stirs up trouble in your life? Unless fellow believers don't accept that this will work. What qualifier did he put on it? He said, if you follow the rules of this thing called the prayer of faith. He said, you'll have whatsoever you pray, whatever you believe you receive. You'll have the things you desire. You can't get any simpler principle of faith, a description of how faith works than what Jesus gave us. Now, he's also faithful to warn us in verse 25. He says, now, if you, when you stand praying, if there's unforgiveness in your life, clear that up because that'll stop the things, stop faith from working. That'll stop you from receiving the things you desire. Got to walk in love. Faith works by love. So if you're not going to walk in love, don't expect faith to be a reality for you. So he's given us the principles of faith. To believe in your heart and say with your mouth. It's so simple, I think people stumble over it. We think that can't be all there is to it. It's got to be more complicated than that, but it's not. Jesus didn't see the fig tree and take a knee and have to pray through. He didn't have to pray all night to find out what God wants to do to be done with this. He knew enough to know that a tree that's unfruitful is a problem. Let's get rid of it. In the same way, unfruitful circumstances in your life should be removed. We don't have to pray about them. If they're unfruitful, get rid of them. Use your faith and get rid of them. And you can use your faith for the things that you desire that aren't necessarily problems or obstacles in your life by simply applying the same principles. Believe in your heart and say with your mouth. In this case, you believe in your heart according to the desires that you have and you say what you believe that you receive when you pray. Now, you can apply this to healing. Father, I believe I receive my healing now in Jesus' name. If healing's what you desire, you believe you receive healing when you pray. Yeah, what about later when it doesn't change or maybe even gets worse? Well, did you believe you received or not? If you believe you received, then you're going to keep speaking independently of your five physical senses. No matter what the doctor says, no matter how this looks, no matter how I feel, the Word of God says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. Therefore, with His stripes I'm healed. So... I still believe that I received my healing in Jesus' name. I've got scriptural evidence. I don't have physical evidence, but I've got scriptural evidence. And scriptural evidence, believed and acted on, will change physical evidence. It can't get any simpler than that, folks. It just can't get any simpler than that. How many of you ever have ever seen an answer to the prayer of faith? 
you got the things that you desired, whether it's healing or whether it was something else. How many of you ever had a result, a positive result from the prayer of faith? Look around the room. Looks to me like Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said it works for whosoever. How many of you have got situations in your life where you need the prayer of faith to work for you? Well, you know what to do, don't you? You do the same thing that worked for you on the other hand. Nearly everybody that raised their hand on the first one raised their hand on the second one. Which shows it's an ongoing thing, doesn't it? Well, let's all stand. Why don't we do that? Let's just pray the prayer of faith together. How many of you need to pray the prayer of faith concerning your finances? How many of you need to pray the prayer of faith concerning your healing? How many of you need to pray the prayer of faith concerning something else? All right. We're going to have to cover the, a, a wide berth here. Close your eyes and raise one hand toward heaven and say these words after me. Don't just repeat what I'm saying. Let your heart agree with it. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you and act on your word. Your word says that Jesus came to the earth and paid the price for sin, sickness, prosperity, and our well-being in every area. Therefore, according to the word of God, we believe that we receive our healing, our finances restored, And everything else that we need in life, in Jesus' name, we believe we receive it now, according to your word. Therefore, we declare by faith that it shall be done. Thank you, Father, for doing it. Whether it's a short time or a long time, we count it done now. In Jesus' name. Now lift your other hand and thank him for it. Thank you, Father, for the simple prayer of faith that brings the, that changes the realities of our life to the truth of your word. We bless you, Father. It's so good to be healed. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. Thank you, Father, for restoring our finances. Thank you, Father, for the things that we need on our jobs and the other needs that are represented here tonight, Father, in these people's lives and in their hearts. We thank you, Father, that it is done very simply, very simply, very simply, just because we've acted upon your word. With no physical evidence, nothing that we see or feel to prove that it's true, we choose to accept your word as the great truth that will change the situations that we face. We worship you, Father. We give you glory for it before we see the answer. In Jesus' precious name, thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege to walk by faith, to prove out your word in our lives, and to see miraculous things done just because we're doers of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Is it done? Say it with me. It's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.